So we're thinking, as I said tonight, about just war in response, really topically, to the issue of the Paris terrorism attacks and what we should be doing as, from a Catholic angle, as a response. Because um, if you've seen some of the commentary, at least some of the commentaries have said, well, bombing Syria now is a just war. It satisfies the conditions. Um, so what I thought I'd do for you tonight is actually to spell out from a Catholic perspective what those conditions are for a war to be just. And obviously what that means in reverse is when these conditions aren't met, if your government goes to war it is an unjust war. Now, as a kind of preamble question, um, just a memory test, do you remember what Jesus said to the soldiers? Because this is relevant, because some people say, or presume, that a Christian is a pacifist, because that was kind of, or is, a kind of politically correct image of Jesus. But we actually know from the Gospels what Jesus said to soldiers that came to him. So you say someone might be content with the wages and not to uh, extort. Exactly, exactly. Whereas if being a soldier was in itself wrong, he'd have told them to give up soldiering, the way he told other people to give up certain things. Um, so, um, St. Augustine puts it this way. He says, If the Christian religion forbade war altogether, those who sought salutary advice in the Gospel would rather have been counselled to cast aside their arms and give up soldiering altogether. On the contrary, they were told, Rob no man by violence or false accusation and be content with your wages. If he commanded them to be content with their pay, he did not forbid soldiering. So, soldiering, when is it just, when is it not just? Um, another question then, preliminary, the question of self-defence. So, if this lady here, attacked by an assailant, if she kills him in defending herself, um, Catholic moral analysis would <coughs> refer to this as what would be called the principle of double effect. One action with two effects. She defends her life, with lethal force, she's aiming to save her life, she kills the assailant. Now if the minimum force she can use to protect herself is lethal, then it's proportionate. If actually a slap in the face would have been enough to make him run off, um, but actually she didn't like him and she killed him, well then it loses all of the justifiability in using violence. And obviously that has an immediate, or pretty immediate, application to the question of war. So the Church says, this is a quote from the Catechism, Legitimate defence can not only be a right, but a grave duty for one who is responsible for the lives of others. The defence of the common good requires that an unjust aggressor be rendered unable to cause harm. For this reason, those who legitimately hold authority also have the right to use arms to repel aggressors against the civil community entrusted to their responsibility. So there are those who are responsible, not just for themselves, defending themselves, but defending a group. That if you're a father, you have a responsibility to your family. <coughs> they look to you to protect them in lots of different ways. 
And the reason we have governments is to serve the common good of those they are over. Um, and among the protecting that common good is the physical protection um, of safety. So, just four criteria. Um, I'm not going to read through all these, but just to point out in a sense, there isn't just one set of criteria. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, in the 12th century, he gives probably the most famous list. The American bishops uh, in the 1980s, um, the midst of the Cold War, they gave a, a much more detailed spelling out. Um, the catechism, um, more recently than that, um, certainly spells things out. Um, so there are a number of criteria. If you're going to be engaged in a war, and that war is justified, it's not up to some random reason for you to say it's justified. There are criteria. I want to run through a few of them. So first there's a kind of the first category, what's called the jus ad bellum, um, towards war. Bellum as in belligerent, right? You're, you're fighting. Um, but before you go to fight, even before you start fighting, there's certain criteria that have to be in place if your fighting is going to be justified. And the first is you've got to have a just cause. So here we have a newspaper image of the Germans invading Poland. Um, and the Catechism puts this condition this way. The damage inflicted by the aggressor on the nation or community of nations must be Three points. Lasting, grave, and certain. So if you have an attack, but then it's <coughs> gone, then it's not lasting. That doesn't then kind of justify you in launching a prolonged response. It's got to be grave. It's got to be something serious. So, you know, when the French insult our queen, that's not a, a grounds for going to war. And certain. Um, certain actually is, I think the first time I'd have seen that condition, I wouldn't have really considered it very important. But we all remember the beginning of the Iraq war when we had headlines like this being told that, you know, 45 minutes from now we could be attacked by the Iraqis. And there were no weapons of mass, mass destruction when we got there. Um, so, certain, this is what this condition means. And if you're not certain, you're not justified in going to war. And I'd be honest and say, when we started the war, I thought we were justified in that one. But looking back, I was wrong. Okay, another criteria, legitimate authority. So there we have an image of parliament, which is where, at a practical level, our authority lies. So that only those responsible for the common good may defend the common good. So... You are not in, um, from a moral perspective, you can't just decide yourself to buy some guns, get in a car, drive over to Syria and start shooting people. Um, legitimate authority, those responsible for the common good are the ones who need to be making these deliberations and acting for the community to serve the common good of the community. Last resort, um, 
So the Catechism says, all other means of putting an end to it, the injustice, have to be shown to have been impractical or ineffective. Um, so, diplomacy, international pressure, sanctions, blockades, covert actions, small-scale raids, all kinds of other things that might, against some just causes, be sufficient to remove the problem. Those have to have failed before war becomes a possible means of achieving justice. Now I have here an image of um, two cowboys facing each other down. Um, I've said here, you don't have to wait until you're dead to defend yourself. So if you wait until the other guy has shot you, um, it's too late to pull your gun. Um, so when more theologians talk about last resort, they don't mean that the other guy has already got his missiles in the air towards you. Um, but but some how does it relate to being certain? Because once they fire the missile, then you could be certain, but you may not be certain until they've done it. <clears throat> um, more theologians talk about what they call moral certainty. So I can be certain that 2 plus 2 makes 4 in mathematics. There's another type of certainty I need to engage in action. And that has, it doesn't give you the same type of certainty. But you're right, there's an obvious um, tension between the question of certainty and the question of a preemptive strike. Yeah. Um. There's a very good historical example, which is the Six Day War, the military build up on the Arab side, particularly on the, on the Egyptian side, was yes. so great. Yes. And it was so obvious that they were going to attack the Israelis, viewed it as morally certain, and wiped them out on the ground. Mm -hmm. More or less. Right. So, having said we need to be certain, a preemptive response is sometimes justified. Okay, completely different question. Um, what's called the probability of success. Um, so, two dice here, rolling to see what the odds are going to be. Um, Catechism says there must be a serious prospect of success. Um, one of the theologians I study puts it this way. It would be immoral to spill blood in vain. So you know you're going to lose, <coughs> but you send your army in anyway, and you just kill people. So what this criteria is saying is there has to be a serious probability of success. You've got to look at the options, and if you're going to use war as a tool to justice, well, you have to think that it's likely to achieve that goal. It's very difficult for anything to report to predict probabilities. Right. And, you know, history's littered with 300 people sort of holding back an army of many, many thousands. And those sort of things, which on paper, that's not going not gonna to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, there, there are certain rules that you take confidence if you're invading an already um, held position. Right. Then factor in terms of the number of extra troops you need is quite dramatic. Mm -hmm. um, we have nothing like that in the 
different outcome than the way it should be. So it's quite a difficult thing to estimate what the congruency is. Perhaps you could interpret it by saying that it would be immoral if it was clearly futile. That would certainly be putting it in the reverse and then mm. somewhere in between. Um, but that this is one of the questions you've got to look at in terms of mm. thinking, is it moral to be engaging in this? Um, those of us that are old enough to remember the Cold War will remember the question of mutually assured destruction. Um, and there was this vision that, well, the Russians will send all their missiles at us and we'll send all ours at them and we'll all get wiped out. Mutually assured destruction. And I can remember my grandpa, um, American, um, devout Catholic, um, fervent anti-communist, <coughs> would say, better dead than red. Um, but that isn't actually a summary of church teaching, right? Um, so better dead than red is a zero probability of success. So a Catholic perspective would say, well, you've got to somehow look for another solution again. Okay, shifting focus again. So here we have an image of somebody, uh, this is a sledgehammer and a walnut, right? Um, proportionality, your tool has to be proportionate to what you're attacking. If you're going to have a huge army go in, that's somehow got to be proportionate to what you're attacking. So what have I said there? War must be a means proportionate to the end being sought. Um, so one of the things you need to be seeking to envisage before you start war is what will be the um, effect of your going to war in terms of the damage that will be done. So will you inflict more damage by going to war then you are seeking to remove in opposing the just cause that you need to address. So the sledgehammer and the walnut is not proportionate. Um, a lot of um, modern commentary focuses on how modern weaponry is much less proportionate than it would have been a few hundred years ago. So one guy with a gun against another guy with a gun is very different to um, America with huge, very expensive missiles attacking an opponent that's so small that actually they don't have a chance of defending themselves. That we want politically to not have any casualties on our side, but then we can be disproportionate in the amount of damage we do to enemy civilians pursuing potentially a small number of enemy military. So the question of the sledgehammer and the walnut is in the proportionality criteria. So phrasing it uh, from the catechism, the use of arms must not produce evils and disorders graver than the evil to be eliminated. The power of modern means of destruction weighs very heavily in evaluating this condition. And as with the other conditions we've looked at, this isn't the kind of thing you can give a nice tidy mathematical formula for. Um, but this is part of what you need to be thinking <coughs> and considering more.
all's fair in love and war. Well, this is not what the church teaches. Okay. Um, so the other criteria I was describing were use ad bellum. So before you go to war, thinking what criteria have to be true if it war is going to be justified to start it. I'm going to briefly look at another angle, which is in bellow, during war. How should you behave during the war? And the simple criteria, the Catechism I think puts it very nicely, in saying that the moral law still holds even during war. That just because you've started a war doesn't mean you can then put aside all ethical <coughs> questions and do whatever you've got to do to win. Oh yes, so here it is. Quote it, the Catechism. The Church and human reason both assert the permanent validity of the moral law during armed conflict. The mere fact that war has regrettably broken out does not mean that everything becomes illicit between the warring parties. <coughs> Basically, two issues. The first is the question of discrimination. So, here we have a picture of someone who is clearly innocent. You wouldn't think there would be any criteria for attacking an innocent life. So as the church puts it, the direct and voluntary killing of an innocent human being is always gravely immoral. And so during a war, this criteria still holds. Just because that's a German baby doesn't mean you can kill it. Um, or a Syrian baby or an Iraqi baby. Now conversely, um, a soldier, how is he different? How is he not innocent? Uh, just to read this um, from an ethicist, soldiers as a class are set apart from the world of peaceful activity. They are trained to fight, provided with weapons, required to fight on command. He can be personally attacked only because he is already a fighter. He is being, being made into a dangerous man, and if conscripted rather than voluntarily signing up to fight, though his options may have been few, it is nevertheless accurate to say he has allowed himself to be made into a dangerous man. For that reason, he finds himself in danger. So a soldier, an enemy soldier isn't necessarily a bad man, but he is um, set apart from the world of innocent civilians. So, again a picture here of civilians, um, not a legitimate target. Um, now, a more likely scenario. Um, the question of what's called collateral damage. <coughs> so, you have an airstrike hitting a military base and a side effect killing some civilians. Discrimination, if you are aiming at the military base, not aiming at the civilians, then you satisfy the question of discrimination. There's another criteria of what's called proportion, but that the aim of your attack has to be a military attack. Goal. It can't be to terrorise the enemy civilians by aiming at civilians. Despite the fact that's what we did against the Japanese with the atomic bombs, and what we did to the Germans 
in carpet bombing their civilian populations in World War II. So the other criteria is proportionality. So how many civilians are you going to kill in proportion to the military target you're attacking? That's where the question of proportion comes in. And again, this is one that when you're defending yourself, it's easy to say, well, they're only German civilians. Um, but an honest ethical analysis is going to seek to view it more fully. Um, so both discrimination and proportionality must be satisfied in each, each strike. Well, where does this leave the question of pacifism? So um, here you have an image of Mahatma Gandhi, probably the most kind of uh, recent um, high-profile pacifist. Um, and of course, if we think of him, he was successful in his outcome um, by um, the means of a pacifist. Where does the church stand with that? Um, well, let me read all of this from the American bishops. The church praises those who pursue peaceful means, but the use of non-violent resistance does not absolve you of your obligation to use violent means if violent means are necessary to protect the rights and duties of others or of the community itself. So the American bishops say there is a complementary relationship between nonviolent means and violent means, the latter being appropriate as a last resort. So if you can achieve your aim using peaceful means for safe environments, <coughs> um, then that is the first means you should pursue. But if Committing yourself to pacifism means you neglect to defend those who depend on you. Uh, then the American bishops say um, you're not living up to your obligations to them. Well, the war against terror. Um, so it's sometimes said that the war against terror is a completely different type of war. That it's not us against the Germans or us against the Japanese. It's not about nice, tidy national boundaries. Um, but a number of Catholic commentators would say, actually, if we look historically, we don't just look back at the last hundred years, the First and Second World War, but a large number of wars that would have been fought under Catholic just war criteria have actually been against guerrilla type groups within nation boundaries. So actually it's not as new a question as it might seem. Modern technology puts, uh, you know, you couldn't have flown an airplane into a civilian target 300 years ago, but you could have had a raiding party of a couple dozen guys go into a village um, and kill a lot of civilians. So in many ways, this, the moral questions in the war against terror aren't that new. But, so four issues. Question of competent authority. Who is the authority to decide who can attack? 
who we're going to attack. Therefore, you know, with that, who is the enemy? Somebody's done it, but who are the people we're going to attack as a response? What is proportionate? Well, I mentioned that a bit. And the question of preemptive strike. So, preemptively, we went into Iraq. Um, the United Nations was kind of vague, I seem to recall, on elements of that. But these are the issues that need to be looked at. Um, actually, I already said this, so guerrilla war, um, so many or most ancient wars were between or against loosely organized tribes and groups. So actually the issue of specific enemy being difficult to identify is not a modern problem. Okay, it's moving towards kind of my last point. Um, <coughs> question of assassination and tyrannicide. So tyrannicide, killing a tyrant. Um, now we, with our upbringing, would probably not think there was much to think about with the question of assassinating Adolf Hitler. But why? What are the ethical justifications for that? Um, I said, summarizing four points here. Authority exists to serve the common good. A tyrant does not serve the common good, but rather his own good. Tyranny, um, and I'm quoting here St. Thomas Aquinas, is an act of violence, a kind of criminality. He says, therefore, tyrants may be killed by anyone who has the effective power to do so. So even before we think of what Adolf Hitler did to us, um, as the English, to his own people, he was not serving the common good. He was a tyrant to his own people. Um, so he served the good of some groups within the people of Germany, but not the Jews. Um, not many others he rounded up into camps. So that his reign was an act of violence against his own people. And so anybody would have been justified in killing him, assassinating him. But the criteria are this question of the common good. That he is opposing the common good, attacking the common good, and therefore the commonality of the populace has a right, if not a duty, to take him out. Adding a clarification, so here we have a statue of Julius Caesar. Um, Julius Caesar was a dictator, but that doesn't mean he was a tyrant. He didn't have the Senate um, with him. Um, but if a dictator ruling everything by what he says, nonetheless serves the common good by commanding everything that is actually wise and beneficial for its people. He is a dictator but not a tyrant. <coughs> so what we mean by a tyrant isn't that he's making his own rules, but that what he is ruling is against the good of his people. And generally speaking, the church says a democracy is more likely to achieve that than the rule of a dictator. But a dictator in itself, in the wise king, 
uh, is not atoned. Uh, this is from a film image of Elizabeth I. Um, I've put underneath there, there's a Facebook page dedicated to this under the banner Heretic, Usurper and Tyrant. Um, so she usurped the throne um, because she wasn't a legitimate heir. Um, she was a tyrant because she killed an awful lot of her people. Um, I'd have to be said the Tudors in general were a pretty bloody era when we compared them to those before and the Stuarts after them. Um, but um, it's not very well documented, but it's alleged that the Pope, Pope Gregory, said to his nuncio, since that guilty woman of England is the cause of so much injury, there's no doubt that whoever sends her out of the world with a pious intention of doing God's service not only does not sin, but gains merit. Now, even as a Catholic Englishman, I've been raised with such a vision in my history books of good Queen Bess that I find that difficult to um, be comfortable with. But if she was a tyrant to her people, um, this follows. And so we ask that same question with respect to Osama bin Laden. Um, He's not a ruler of his people in the same form, but his opposition to the common good, if we can say that's the case, his threat to the common good, would justify assassination by the same sort of criteria. Okay, just to summarize what we've been saying about the just war criteria said there are conditions before you start war <coughs> the use ad bellum conditions that have to be in place and even after you decide you are justified in going to war you have to fight war in a manner that keeps um, morality in your um, parameters that the, the moral law still holds and as I said there's not just one set of criteria, there's, there's many ways of trying to formulate it, many different elements of conditions, um, and we've looked at a, a few of those. So we talked about during war, discrimination, proportionality, beforehand, proportionality, probability of success, and a few of those others. Should the list not also include the exhaustion of Every possible means of avoiding the first place. Well, the um, last resort. Um, yes, though, as we said, how you know for sure it's a last resort or you are certain, um, but you've, that's what you've got from an ethical angle to kind of show to yourself and to whoever you're accountable to that you've sought to. Uh, 